0: Ho, 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 welcome back. This is Illiterate. This week we are covering Lord of the Rings. Finally, my name is Evan. I have been checking out the brand new show on Amazon. I am hanging out with my buddy Taylor. Hello, I have gotten deep into Lord of the Rings history. We took a little bit of an extended break. A few things have happened, uh, a few life things, some sickness, uh, and So, but we are back with you, and this has always been on the docket, and baby, it wasn't moving, so today, I need this show because I'm a casual Lord of the Rings fan. I didn't start watching them until I saw the first one the week I left college, so I'm new to all of this. I saw all of the films then, but I'm not a super fan. I haven't seen the Hobbit films, uh-huh. but... I've started this one, we're weeks into this now, and I, Taylor, I'm lost. (laughs) Taylor, I am so lost, I need so much help, and so I knew this was coming around the corner. And if you're lost like me, or if you're confused about any of this stuff, I think this is going to be an interesting show. I'm excited because we're really, we're starting off the right way, I think, you know, and if you know the show, you know where we're going, (laughs) we're going right to the source, baby, Tolkien, baby. I am ready to talk about the origins of this stuff so that I can start really breaking down this story in my head because it's too big, it's too massive, it's too important yeah. to so many people. Uh, <laughs> so, I don't know, let's buckle up. But this is the beginning of our three-part series. Lord, we haven't done one of those in a second. I, yeah. ah, we're back, baby.
1: Uh, question and answer here. Will I pronounce all <sighs> of the Lord of the Rings characters correctly? No. Nay. Will I, <laughs> will I pronounce the name of the author correctly? Yes, it's Tolkien. Is how it goes. So from here on out, I will do my best. J-R-R, his family called him Ronald, which is the first R, and we'll just call him Tolkien because I didn't know him. But that's what, if you were close (laughs) to him, he's old Ron (laughs) (laughs) to the fam and friends. The timeline, because that's important. 1892 was when he was born and died in 73. So he had the potential to see some of the weirder adaptations, which we will get to at the end, but this is going to be the bulk of his life influences and Mm. process for making all of this happen. The word of the day to know with all of this is philologist, which is what he was officially. Do you know that word at all? No, I've
0: never heard this word before. (laughs)
1: So that's how he paid the bills. It is the study of language and its oral and written historical sources. So going back to the where, like based on the Latin of this, which came from the meaning of this, which originated from the ancient Gaelic, this That's like our
0: show. Yeah.
1: (laughs) What that, that's what he did. But with languages, the invention being the foundation. And so we'll see as we go along, how Lord of the Rings fits into all this to me backwards from the way you write a story, hmm. but that's what he was into. So in terms of being an actual philologist, he was a teacher. He worked at Oxford in various positions. It's from starting 19- to make sense already. Yeah, 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 <laughs> already. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was, a, he was a college professor from 25 until his retirement in 59, and that's the bulk of wow. his work efforts. And then this is almost like a fun side hobby, but, but we'll get into that. In Mm -hmm. a second, starting off with his upbringing. And I just think it's funny because there's so much in my mind to do with lineage and families. And this person begat this person in this era, huge family lineage of the Tolkiens going back to 1620 of some sort of importance. You know, he was all into that with his own family, tracing it back into British history. Would have been on that
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ancestry.com.
1: And there would have been a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. He was born in South Africa, which I thought was a fun little mm. tidbit and his because his dad was promoted to the head of a British bank there, which I feel like we've seen this over and over again somehow. He mm-hmm. went to England with his mom and his brother for a trip at an early age, and his dad died still back in South Africa. Oh no, and so the family has limited income, they move around the country with various family members oh, uh, wow. Him and his brother and his mom. One of the funniest places that they stayed at was at his Aunt Jane's, and her farm is named Bag End, which is hmm. the Shire yeah. location. So he he <laughs> one for one cribbed that uh, name for his story. And there's right. a lot of stuff. First like one that. down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he gets, he's, you know, he's, he's trolloping around the English countryside, which gives him an appreciation for all of that. A bit more of a naturalist for his time, as opposed to other people.
0: I'm um, Spark Which, in the yeah. in the course of our three part series, I will be checking out the 2019 film Tolkien with Nicholas Holt. Um, oh, interesting! So yeah, I, I'll be paying close attention this episode to then compare, and I'll report back. In, <laughs> Please, in next yeah. Episodes, but this this biopic was done not too long ago. Uh, and it went a little bit under the radar, so I'm I'm flagging this, and we'll come back to it later. <laughs> yeah, see if they
1: pull any of this stuff. I'm sure Bag End will, will be mm-hmm, in there at mm-hmm, least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was homeschooled by his mom, and this is where he developed his love of languages and reading. She dies super early at of diabetes oh, no. at the age of 34. Oh, and no. And he's, yeah, he's 12. And so- What's bizarre about this is that's basically the age you can sustain if you have diabetes without any sort of insulin treatment, because that would not be discovered until 20 years later. So she was just 20 years too short of any sort of treatment for it. And that's pretty much her type of diabetes, what you could sustain without that. Wow. So then- Semi orphaned, you know, he's in the guardianship of friends and family from age 12 onwards and, uh, hanging out with his cousins and, and rest of the family. Like I said, languages, this is where it's, he starts to be super interested in his teens. He invented a language called Nebish with his cousins, which isn't oh, that cool. advanced. It's more of just a word replacement sort of thing. Like a code. Yeah, yeah, essentially. But still, he started, that's how you
0: got to start somewhere. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, you could see the inklings of his fascination with it. Developed one of his own. He also learned Esperanto, which is the completely made-up language, not tied to mm. any culture. I don't know if you'd heard of that. It was purported to no. be sort of the universal language because it wasn't linked to any culture or uh, people. It still exists, and you can learn it. But it didn't uh, turn into like everybody being on the same number system or whatever. It's, it's like kind it was of, made in a lab. Exactly, exactly. And so that'll tie in into some of what he's curious about with languages. But mm-hmm. uh, furthering on in his life, age 19, he goes on this summer holiday in Switzerland, big party of 12, hiking and camping. And mm-hmm. he, he says that a big part of Bilbo's journey through the Misty Mountains in The Hobbit is based on this experience that he Aww. had as a Aww. teenager <laughs> going through the Misty Mountains of Switzerland. So that's another uh, personal connection and what a life experience. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Kind of the, the pre-college sojourn around Europe. So yeah. then right after that, he goes to study at Oxford and World War One starts, boom, 1914. And he was in a program that would delay his enlistment until he completed his degree. So that's what he ended up doing and then was sent hmm. to France in 1916 and fought big battles, most of his friends and schoolmates were killed during the war and oh, this no. is a huge part of yeah. sauron's army and the the war taking over and evil oh, corrupting no. the land and all that. Yeah. He was in the trenches he was in it so and, and this yeah.
0: is this is the extent of my knowledge of him, you know, mm-hmm. growing up in schools, the movies were incredibly popular, and all my friends were reading the books uh, you know that was the the, the story was oh you know he was in World War One and he got all the ideas basically from from that. Um, um, uh-huh. But I've never I've never looked any further into it. And like I said, I never had any contact when it, when uh, with any of the material until rather yeah, yeah. recently. So it's it's just this glimmer right here that we're just touching on is the <laughs> like the only <laughs> sentence of this that I was really aware of for yeah. this
1: week. <laughs> well, and it is the biggest bullet point because it is the most direct parallel. In terms of his right, no, I mean it. it immediately
0: makes stories, sense yeah. for all of the world building, the setting, uh, the generational aspect of it. But like, I've never heard that he was fully orphaned. Basically, like <laughs> that's, that's yeah. shocking. Like before fifteen, you know, at twelve, he is he is orphan. Uh, I've never I've never heard that little ditty about his backstory. I'm like, that's pretty major too. When like that could start the sentence of well, he was an orphan and fought in <laughs> World War II. You know what i you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's just yeah, interesting. Yeah. What what makes it in? What doesn't? And this guy already—we've barely, we've just gotten to the sentence I understand of him. I've <laughs> already words so much.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sam Gamgee is a—he said—is a direct reflection of the ah. English soldier, so far superior to myself. He was saying the—the the, which I, you know, my favorite character in the whole deal—the mm-hmm. sacrificial best friend, willing mm-hmm. to do anything, bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders. He sees that in his in his friends and comrades, mm. he got really sick, contracted trench fever, and spent recovery doing hospital duties, so then also sees the knockoff effects of mm. the wounded oh, as well in World War I. This is where he starts writing this book of lost tales, a English mythology with stories and ideas and Faux okay. medieval magical characters and all of that stuff. This is what he calls his legendarium, which eventually becomes the Silmarillion for which the uh elvish languages could exist within. But that'll that'll come later. This is just the inklings of it in World War One, he's working on kind of those a Those are book cool
0: of, those are really yeah. <laughs> cool names, but I'm like, I yeah. hope he didn't walk around telling people that because that <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh he did, all, yeah, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so uh
1: yeah. World War I demobilized in 1920. He had a rank of lieutenant by the end. He Whoa. was big in it, you know? Yeah. Um, post-war, first job is, is at the Oxford English Dictionary. And he Ooh. was working on the W's, the history and etymology of Germanic origin words. So mm-hmm. figuring out walrus, where did that come from? How did it derive? Where, why is it, you know, <laughs> that, that, is, that was his first job I after love the war. And oh, he toiled and toiled. And loved it. And then the other thing, which we already talked about, was he did a translation of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which Mm. is, if you remember, we were like, that's why people thought it was him who wrote that, because he did a good translation of it and got all the the language origins. Because if we remember, that story is from Anonymous. It is a cobbled together story of all sorts of European
0: folklore. No, I absolutely adored that. And, and his touch on it, uh, is, is very fascinating especially yeah. seeing that studio go into some, uh, some fantasy realm, but seeing his touch on, on any, on, on a lot of this is just a coincidence, but it's not at the same time. It's, <laughs> um, I just, I, I loved that movie a couple of years ago. Please go check out our episode on it yeah. um, because it definitely intermingles and weaves with this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, with, The work that he's doing with that then, he works as a professor of Anglo-Saxon, the original language, as well as Old Norse literature. And he's, like I said, working in various departments and positions at Oxford and their Mm -hmm. offshoots and taught for 34 years. That's what he's doing. And I would probably describe him if you think about teachers. He was one of the good teachers. He's the cool English teacher. (laughs) Or language teacher (laughs) that you you would want, you know, when he's reading Beowulf, he shouted at the start of it. So people, you know, you feel like they said, one of the students said he could turn a lecture room into a mead hall. He was just so, (laughs) so into it. Uh, He was also kind of a goofball, went to parties dressed as a polar bear, uh, (laughs) dressed as an axe wielding Anglo-Saxon warrior. Yeah. uh, Just a, just a, a, a funny, goofy guy. Took out his false teeth a bunch. Oh my god! Like I said, one of the one of the good ones, <laughs> one of the fun wow. ones that you would have wanted at Oxford in the uh, in the 30s onward.
0: Yeah, like uh, he's not. Uh, you know, it, it's it's hard not knowing so much about him, um, and now understanding him fully is like, well, he's you know, he's he's such a he's so much bigger and fuller than just like the kid thinking about wizards in the corner you know yeah yeah um, there's so much more to him uh, than that and, and it's fascinating to hear how big his character really was in real life because I can imagine how how much fun he would have been around I mean that really says it mm-hmm. all is he could turn a lecture room into a mead hall that's that, yeah. mean, that takes a special person and that kind of tells you the magic that that happens when they start yeah. trying to communicate and not everybody can comm- communicates the same way
1: yeah um no it's perfect that you bring up the communication side of things too because that was the onus for him wanting to write stories because like we talked about with esperanto being built in a lab he's like the languages have to have like the reason a language Because he's learning the origins of walrus, trying to figure it out. There has to be some stories behind it. You can't just come up with a language out of nothing. There has to be myths and legends and growth and changes and the history behind why a word becomes the way it does comes from culture. This is how I think about
0: storytelling. This is exactly how I think about the storytelling and why we do this show. I mean, this this is this is fascinating to hear because I've never i've i it's it's fascinating to hear it in a mind like this. Um, This is this is incredible. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So what happens then is the
1: languages that he's developing these Elvish languages and whatnot. He's more writing these. He has these ideas for stories to fit as a vessel so that the languages make sense. Yeah. It's kind of like I said, it's sort of a backwards way of what you'd think. People are like, Oh, I want to write a cool story, and then I put in this world building. He's like, No, I invented a language, but it doesn't matter unless there's a culture that used it. Yeah. And let me write thousands of years of history for them so that then I can have this language make sense, which I had never thought of it that way, but it's pretty cool. So. Uh, the first book that he tackles with this, like I said, he had his legendarium. He has all these bigger ideas and plans and yeah. lore and whatnot, but he's got children of his own. And so he, his interest is shifting to mythology, legendary stories with kids. Mm-hmm. And there's also some works that are dabbling in this fantastical realm before him. So just some of his influences, William Morris was a mm-hmm. writer, more poet, and the style that he had Really Mm -hmm. influenced him, as well as his depiction of dragons and the their destruction of landscapes and whatnot. Okay, yeah, was a big motif with Morris's writing. So that's number one. Sauron is based on the villain of Samuel Crockett's The Black Douglas, which is an early supernatural historical thing with werewolves and magic and such, which he was influenced by. Tolkien was influenced by. Yeah, and. Uh, the last one I'll cover is George MacDonald's *The Princess and the Goblin*. His depiction of mm. goblins and those sorts of creatures were very influential to Tolkien as he was coming up with his uh. non-human, creepy sort of characters in my mind. <laughs> as well as, of course, the the language stuff—tons of old Norse names, Anglo-Saxon stuff, all of the stuff that he's that he's using from what he, oh, yes. he was pulling.
0: Uh, you know, I'm just I'm because like that's been it's so, especially jumping into the new series. It's uh-huh. so it's so rich that it almost glazes over. You know, like that everything yeah. is something and so never, and nothing is anything, and <laughs> and I don't even know where to start with anything. And so, like this is how I need to really start is understanding him and his story and where the story is coming from, even just the understanding that it's stemming from trying to have a context for a language and communication. Yeah. Like, all of that starts to now build the Texture of what is the you know the yeah, story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just beginning to start placing things that without it, it's just like well you know the whole donut's good I guess you know I don't know what's good about it. Um, this this yeah. is the, I'm starting to starting to peel it back here um, at least for me and my, how my mind works, understanding his influences and his context mm-hmm. and and his goals with this. Help me understand it. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, this is a full me thing. I'm, everybody knows all, the, everybody knows so much about this. I truly am, well, I truly I, I am behind the yeah. ball on this. No, I, I
1: think it is important <laughs> to realize that this was, in a way, an end of a different means when it comes to his language background, yeah. which everybody knows. Oh, wow. He invented Elvish and he invented all the, you know, whatever, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh,
0: Oh, wow. It's like,
1: this was the point of that. Yeah. So (laughs) keeping in mind too, the the start of this, the apocryphal tale, he's still a teacher. He was grading papers. There were some blank parts on the back of one of them. He wrote, in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit and said, well, that's an interesting start. What's a hobbit? Why is he living there? (laughs) What's going on with that? And then writes the hobbit as, like I said, more of a kid's story, a children's fantastical thing, because that's what he's interested in.
0: And I'll develop this, I'll develop yeah, yeah. The hell sure. out of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Takes a while though. Shows the manuscript to C.S. Lewis, one of his friends. Oh, casual,
0: yeah. C.S. <laughs>
1: Lewis uh, showed this to a student who was then visited by a staff member of a publishing company who then showed it to her boss and then he showed it to his 10 year old son. So, this chain of <laughs> Tolkien wasn't. Chomping at the bit, I have to get this published. I've devoted my life to this. It was a changing of hands until it gets to a kid who said, I like this. This is fun. Uh <laughs> wow. dad, publish this.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that happens way too often. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man. How is it supposed to work? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, That's
1: great. It's yeah, I love it. Reminds me a little bit of the Harry Potter stuff, where the kids are the litmus test for the quality
0: of it, mm-hmm. and if the kid mm-hmm. wants yeah, to, yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's an instantly what I thought of. It's like I've heard this, I've heard this several times. Actually, <laughs> um, yeah. this is this is interesting. But
1: yeah, so they so they decide to publish it. 1937 is the date, and it sold out in three months. And wow. uh, another piece which you'll be happy to realize mm. is that the original art was by Tolkien as well. Really. He was he was a an interested artist and these copies there weren't that many of them and uh I looked it up one of these in 2008 sold for 60,000 British pounds oh at, my God. at auction. Very r- to have the original hobbit with the art by the guy. Yeah. Uh wow. not too many copies out there. So this is this is, is there where a he, PDF on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> you can f- yeah, print out really crappily. Um well, so speaking of gaining in popularity, you want a copy, everybody wants a copy. The publisher now wants a sequel, of course. Uh-huh. Nothing changes. <laughs> Everything stays the same. What do you got <laughs> next, guy? Uh <laughs> He shows this publisher, the Silmarillion, like his his legendarium of the lore and the genealogy and all that, and they're like, "Nah, too obscure. This isn't a, a, a sequel children's book. What what the heck is all this garbage?"
0: And they're not next. that
1: gruff, but it's like, "Sure, I don't want. You know, this is not what we want." So he says, "Well, I'll I'll, I'll get something else to you." which Hmm. comes 17 years later, um, (laughs) which ends up being Lord of the Rings. But in this time- Holding on to that business card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) the number ain't changed. I thought it was interesting, though, because as he's working on Lord of the Rings, he wants to change The Hobbit, which is also why this first edition is Mm. expensive, because it's actually different. They did update The Hobbit. And so in this first First edition- The more children's e version, Gollum willingly bets his magic ring on the outcome of the riddle game in the in mm-hmm. the cave, and he mm-hmm. and Bilbo part amicably, but in uh, in the second uh, and further editions and in the movies, if you've seen them, it's reflecting more how corrupting the one ring yes. is and how dark it is. Tolkien makes Gollum more aggressive and he's distraught and he Bilbo's stolen it and you know, all of that is not in the first edition. So wow. that's That's kind of interesting that he also changed it, uh, updated his story as he's getting the Lord of the Rings stuff
0: figured out. I like that he's not like feeling bound, that he's like, well, that was the first draft and now I can do it. You know what I mean? (laughs) You're not feeling like he has to justify it (laughs) and be completely bound and contort (laughs) to those decisions. Be like, well, I'm going to do it again now. He
1: definitely... Wanted to do more. So after the Lord of the Rings comes out, he started trying to revise the whole thing, all of the Hobbit again, to match Lord of the Rings more. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the publisher wasn't going for it. People were not going for it. There was too much criticism of losing the lightheartedness of the Hobbit. And so it never went through the okay. official full revisions okay. to to after the Lord of the Rings came out. But it's yeah, it is interesting. I'm not sure many people know that he was... Still futzing with it <laughs> even after right. to try and to try and line it all up. Uh, in between, part of I think what is taking so long is World War II happens, and so uh, very important that you get involved in that if you're in England at the time. And so he was right. asked to serve in the cryptographic department of the Foreign Office for code breaking. Language, extraordinary guy, right up his alley, but. Uh, officially, they did not need his services. No. I would like to conspiracy theory that and say mm-hmm. <laughs> that they did use him, but obviously. We'll never know. On the, the secret <laughs>
0: dies with Tolkien.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's still the professor of English and literature. Uh, like I said, 17 years it takes to write after The Hobbit. What's funny is the 10-year-old kid is now involved in the publishing as an adult. Like you said, keep the business card. That's how it Literally the guy kept it. And then that's because you could imagine if there's a changing of the guard or it's not a family business, why would they keep up with
0: this guy and this? Sequel I keep to this? thinking of like yeah. example like other times this has happened. This is a completely different parallel, if I if you allow me to assign. Yeah, yeah. But like this happened with the Halloween series. So famously the Halloween IP was owned by Mustafa Akkad. He was the producer for all of the all of uh-huh. the sequels. And he had a teenage son in the 80s when they brought back Michael Myers Michael Myers for part four, five, six. And he literally asked his son, Yes, no, would you would, would would teenagers like this in a in a movie? And so fast forward, guess who's producing these movies now? Yeah. His son, a yeah, cod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think he's a much better producer. Uh, these movies are much better. Uh, but that's all to say, this this happens all the time. This this yeah. this generational secession. It's it's fascinating actually, and, and I, 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 that's just one and a major one that people like seriously are not aware of. That's still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this happens all the time,
1: <laughs> all the time, as well as the continued support from those around you, not just the business side of things. So C.S. Lewis is still encouraging him and now C.S. Lewis is concurrently writing the Chronicles of Narnia at the same time Good he's Lord. working on Lord of the Rings so they're both in these big epic fantasy allegories it's a write off yeah yeah <laughs> uh and then this finally gets published in 54 in three volumes which is more for the size and the commercial value splitting it up as opposed to the narrative and the flex Taylor. necessity of it <laughs> that you can that you can have so much yeah but, like I said, it was interesting because he did still, even though it grew, it grew darker and serious, but it was supposed to be the sequel to The Hobbit. So he wanted it to be more of a children's tale. And mm-hmm. then, as it was progressing, and then, of course, influences with World War II now, he, it, it grew darker as time mm, went things on. Things
0: didn't get better. The story yeah, didn't yeah. get better.
1: <laughs> and I saw that uh, Frodo was originally named Bingo. In the
0: (laughs) which they kept it, yeah, yeah,
1: (laughs) didn't work. Didn't work in the darker version, yeah, but in the children's (laughs) version that he started as the as the sequel to the Hobbit, he was old Bingo.
0: That's hilarious. That's my favorite discrepancy thus far. (laughs)
1: Um, And then he retires five years later in fifty nine, and until seventy three, and basically increases slowly. The snowball builds in terms of his public awareness, fame, the book selling. And he actually said he regretted not retiring earlier since his books did become so profitable. He mm-hmm. was like, I could have done more of this and not taught <laughs> as much as I did. And
0: interesting.
1: Very giving, very loving, completely glossed over his relationship with his wife, which he's had forever. But he moved off to the seaside lives in seclusion and isolation mostly because his wife loved being there and she could be a hostess Mm -hmm. in polite society and he's not in the scene anymore. Mm -hmm. And he's okay with that. And he's just chilling on the beach, going to parties that his wife is hosting and, and living out his days. Same. Um, And then, (laughs) uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's the dream there. Um, What I thought was kind of the, the question of the whole thing this grew immensely popular in the 60s when he was done, you know, makes no sense. And he's often, you know, sitting on the beach with his feet in the sand. <laughs> he's not on talk shows promoting this. He's not coming out with more. Uh, the Cimmerillion, the big old Rolodex of ideas and characters and, and lore was po- published posthumously in 77. Oh, wow. So he didn't even, have, it was his son. He didn't even have anything to do with that. But the reason it became so big in the '60s was, we talk about the '60s all the time—the counterculture <laughs> boom, the interest in environmental issues, which wasn't extremely overt in *The Lord of the Rings* and *The Hobbit*, but it's much more than what most other people were doing at the time. Right? Uh, this sort of yeah, cutting down the trees, big industrialist faction that's
0: that's decimating the land. The more we do the show, the more yeah. we add to the prism that is the 1960s. <laughs> yeah, the 1960 yeah. the 1960s uh, just galvanized and compounded um, and through the trajectory of this country and the world in some really r- wild ways. And we keep talking about the decade. We could just do a super show on, on the 1960s <laughs> and yeah. how content changed before and after the 1960s. But I digress.
1: But yeah, with your conception of the 60s now also put all the college campus hippies pu- having a copy of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit un- under their arm mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. they're going to protest or what. We're armed with <laughs> the this truth. Also- <laughs> yeah, it's there. It's there. And you know, he was uh not super into that. Didn't really care that that was a part of it. Was not interested in that as an aspect of what people were getting oh. out of his work. <laughs> 'Cause he's the language guy. He's like, This has nothing to do with any of that. Oh
0: man. Yeah. I almost feel like it was like mistiming. I feel like he would have been like way into all of this if it had happened like when he was
1: you know <laughs> right, what I if he mean? wasn't it, born in
0: eighteen ninety
1: two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if it's almost feel like it all got popular after he was like, Well, I guess nobody liked it.
1: <laughs> right, like Frank Herbert and Dune, he's like, No, 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 I was about that. That's what I was about. That's why I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. One more little bit before we get into them turning this into trying to movies and shows and whatnot. The C.S. Lewis friendship was cooled a little bit over time because of C.S. Lewis's anti-Catholic leanings and having his opening, his mind to Christianity and whatnot, although they were still together as this Inklings group in England and Oxford Mm -hmm. uh, because Tolkien was very, very Catholic which I think mm-hmm. is also probably represented in in the the structure of his works. But mm-hmm. uh, the other thing then too, which we also talked about in Nightmare Alley, was this also is the time C.S. Lewis is romancing the American divorcee William Lindsay Gresham's wife. And oh, they remember gosh. when when he's when uh, she has cancer, and he's care. You know that was uh, the it's guy, <laughs> right? Nightmare Alley. Oh, yeah, that was yes. his wife. That was that whole side thing. So that again, weaving into. Tolkien's story. He's losing oh his friendship with C.S. Lewis because he's with her at this time. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, yeah, that's 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 kind of the 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 tail end of his life and what's going on. We can pop into his his thoughts on adapting this and what was tried to be done before the things we know and love. Yeah. Starting with in 51. There's a quote from Tolkien writing about his intentions. He said to create, quote, a body of more or less connected legend of which the cycles should be linked to a majestic whole and yet leave scope for other minds and hands wielding paint and music and drama. So he thought of it in a sense as- I feel like that's
0: like a studio's mission statement.
1: Yeah. <laughs> for, <laughs> they want every project to be able to have that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. You know, like- <laughs> And we can I, have I, toys and the Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Like I, uh, yeah, that's that all. Sound yeah. Where would I feel like all those values are present? That's, no, it's it's interesting. That's that's. Uh, yeah, I want to hmm, I want to reappropriate that everywhere. <laughs>
1: I think the what was his take on it though was more like, oh, people can write poems in the Elvish language, not totally, make a totally. You know, like he's just and, he's talking yeah. about. I
0: want to make a sandbox big enough for everybody to do what they want.
1: Yeah, and we can have all this connected lore and create operas about things that are happening and whatnot.
0: We're in the sandbox.
1: What's missing from (laughs) that is film. He was not keen on film. He was not really – he didn't watch
0: shows. Oh, so he's film racist. That's fascinating. (laughs) Basically. Now that he's getting – now we've gotten to his older – now I'm interested in – to see him getting older and where he draws the line on things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as people yeah. get into their curmudgeon phase. Cuz that's what he said. Fascinating. Yeah.
1: Wielding paint and music and drama. He's not uh not as interested in the film stuff.
0: And he'd be holding on to VHS. You know, now,
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> his uh his creative then power is that he can have veto on all creative decisions as it mm-hmm. comes to these adapting mm-hmm. of these things. So We'll start with the Hobbit and what had tried to be done with that in '38, and the Hobbit came out in '37. So pretty close. Immediately, wow! There was a memo which is not substantiated by Tolkien's estate, as far as they were not uh, clued into this. But there is Mm. internal memos with Walt Disney suggesting the Hobbit be incorporated into Fantasia as Mm. one of the sequences using that. I can see that
0: immediately. Yeah.
1: But it never made it to Tolkien's desk as far as approved. But he didn't like Disney at all anyways. so I doubt that there would have been anything. But there was also, again, another uh, uptick in the 50s. There were rumors, storyboard artists were saying that they were working on something, but it was too complex, and they didn't have the rights anyway. And like I said, Tolkien loathed Disney, so it's not like it would have been Mm -hmm. going anywhere anyways. But it was in their wheelhouse and contemplations at least. But all it's through, like everyone's yeah, Akira yeah. now.
0: Right. All, <laughs> all the animators all, yeah, and yeah. all the graphic designers like sh- hide that and shuffle it under papers when you walk in a room like, no, 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 just this, no, it's more uh, more versions of a new Sonic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So with that, there's uh, attempts all through the 50s, negotiations and whatnot. The first official adaptation was... A uh, play version, a 1953 production at St Margaret's Girls' School, which Hmm. is interesting because it was all girls. Okay. Which then kind of the the well, which we'll get into later. But it's a very masculine centered
0: story and cast and everything. I feel like immediately, I don't know anything about this, but off the premise alone, this could be a ninety minute movie. This could be an incredible movie. (laughs) Just about (laughs) just so so funny that play and who these girls are and what this school is. I see it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we'll get into the up and arms of the casting and the, you know, his yes. ideas of mythology. It's just funny that the first adaptation was all female because it, it was a girl's school. I'll so, write yeah, keep uh, the a fact spec in
0: script about that, just about yeah. that.
1: <laughs> um, the first other film version was a 66 cartoon, 12 minutes long. And again, this is all The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. And uh looked into it not really similar at all it's it's there's mm-hmm. a princess with bilbo going on this thing it's it has nothing to do with anything at all uh and the animation more is more closely
0: resembles shrek
1: or yeah <laughs> super mario or something yeah it's it's uh strange the the it's basically just like camera movements over still photos like a glorified ken burns documentary thing what happened was, and I don't know all the specifics, but there was a gaffe with the rights because of the U.S. first edition publishing. And so somehow part of that got in the public domain. And so they could make oh anything with it. Lord. But they, there was, they were trying to quickly figure out how they could do it, this this company. And then they were working on something and then they didn't have anything. And so they're like, hurry, we got to get something out before this gets uh, canned or <laughs> we can't do they this. They bumbled it. So that's why they said. Anything, and then it's just this weird 12 minute st- almost, yeah, slideshow Ooh. animation of it. Uh, Dang. there were a bunch of radio dramas that were approved, and the BBC has one, they, they end up being pretty good. I've listened to them, you, you can find them that's cool. uh, out there on the interwebs. But yeah, uh, the Lord of the Rings, then he sold the and this is you had talked about his curmudgeonliness, it's kind of interesting. He sold the film stage and merchandise rights to United Artists in 1968. Nothing came to be from this, but the reasoning is he was planning the trust fund for his grandkids, his wife was ailing, he was Mm. worried about the fall-off from the book sales, which didn't happen, but this is 68, and he doesn't know what's to be of him and his legacy in the future, and so... A, a, a smart business decision but to be like sure I'll sell it all for for this so that we can we can get something from this but mm-hmm. sold it all to United Artists in 68 oh, and God. they end up not doing anything with it so the first film adaptation does not come from them and this again has to do with this weird public domain situation from the settlement from that and so they there's this company that jumps on it Rankin Bass and okay. uh, But although there's like a stipulation that it could only air in Canada, it's what? just weird. But oh, this is Lord, the first no. version that's animated and actually put together It isn't that weird short. And this is in 77, and it is a musical TV film of The Hobbit. And it's probably what people have seen as like, oh, these weird drawings. I'll post a link. <laughs> but if if people are like, oh, God, there was some other weird Lord of the Rings Hobbit thing before Peter Jackson, this is what that is. And it, again, comes from spurious circumstances and strange rights litigation and trying to beat another (laughs) company to getting something out there. Uh, So that's 77. What a
0: strange shape you are.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And again, (laughs) nothing to do with what Tolkien wants at all. And he's not getting anything from this because United Artists still has the actual rights. And so they do end up going for something. They sell the rights to this guy, Ralph Bakshi, for $3 million because they failed so much to try and get something. And he does the Lord of the Rings, the first half of it. And this comes out a year later in 78. And this is another animated thing, which it does more justice as far as being animated well, and isn't a musical television film, but it never gets a part two they never <laughs> no off the it kidding? ends on a massive cliffhanger yeah and oh. uh, he's trying <sighs> to get it done before the rank and bass tv people come back with their weird rights issue and they're and they're like swiftly trying to do another one oh and my God. and so two years later they do capitalize and rank and bass basically does lord of the rings again and they just do it as the whole story instead of finishing his second half okay which he was trying to do uh, it's called Frodo the Hobbit 2, it's, but it's just all what? the Lord of the Rings. It's not the second part of what this other guy had with the rights. Oh, my God. So this all just becomes a huge mess. Bumble after bumble
0: after bumble. Yeah, after
1: bumble. yeah. and p- then people are associating this weird second one with the one that this guy did that he actually tried to do a good job on, Ralph. Uh,
0: all the fans going, it's impossible. You can't do it. Just stop. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And so, decades. Again, also, it ties into the fact that Tolkien died in 73. He did not see these, but he hated the fans and the American fans and what they were perceiving it as, and not into it becoming this (sighs) junk. You know, he wants a whole connected, majestic hole in the scope of paint and music and drama, and we're getting TV animated musicals towards the end (laughs) uh it doesn't
0: it doesn't gel with what people saw it as in the book so well it's fascinating that there are multiple animated misfires so i'm not even i guess so it's the (laughs) it's the middle one that we're more probably acquainted with visually yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah. the unfinished one good god and i had no idea it was unfinished yeah, I mean I seriously for decades now you probably you've got uh you've got a fan base that the author disowns and <laughs> a fan base that is screaming about how it's impossible to adapt so why even try I mean, all the while it's hardly even gotten like a real like good shake at it because mm-hmm. ultimately all of this entertainment junk is in its infancy as we go yeah. through the 50s 60s into the 70s and, and bordering into the 80s and by the well, time Well also 70s 80s. adaptation done
1: yeah, 70s, 80s is not a great time for animation in general. Right. Yeah. Go back to our um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit to see. They 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 revitalized it, but this is before that, and you could imagine that's also part of just adding to what the you're saying. wasteland about where, where of it's cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Oh God! Um, yeah, what a sticky and awful situation. Because nobody likes any nope. Like the the author doesn't like the fans. Don't like the content. Don't like the, it's ever. <laughs> nobody wants anything to do with each other, which is bizarre.
1: And somebody's <laughs> just sitting on all the rights and can't do anything with it. Uh, they don't want to.
0: Yeah, it's three million dollars. You know they spend more <laughs> than that on like a like a, a shot. in this new one you know it's hard to it's hard to reconcile um exactly the magnitude of things that are shifting bordering into the 1980s i had no idea it was in such a in such a horrible state yeah before peter jackson really comes along and starts developing it in the 90s which i'm I'm jumping the gun there but like i'm just i had no i knew it wasn't good and i knew that there was an attempt i didn't know there were so many attempts i didn't Mm -hmm. know that Attempts went unfinished, which is absolutely gobsmackingly (laughs) unbelievable.
1: Well, they patch Um, it together with a little voiceover at the end, and they're like, "And good piece, right? Yeah, this is literally one line at the end. Oh, thank God! So they fixed it, it. but it doesn't. It doesn't work. (laughs) No, obviously they're in peril. Yeah, (laughs) and nothing is resolved. (laughs) But they just said it's over, (laughs) and everything worked out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is this is staggering. Um, and I, and it's also funny, too, to just I feel like I feel like we're such creatures of our times because I feel like it, Tolkien is misunderstanding the fans mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fans are, are really misunderstanding the, the the filmmakers and the creators. Because I, which, I don't yeah. think they're on different sides of the <laughs> argument. I think everybody is understanding each other, the point being that they like this, they want they like this story and they see something in it. And I don't think that really people are disagreeing about what it intrinsically is. <laughs> they just end up <laughs> drawn on stupid political sides. to the hippie, the hippie idea, the hippie aesthetic hurts the perception of the fans in Tolkien's eyes, which is yeah lunacy in my mind because now in my mind he's getting old enough it didn't catch on when he was excited about it now he's older Uh and yeah. he doesn't want it. that's not my crowd but it is yes it is it <laughs> ab- yes it is because the book is under their arm and no one else's yes they are they know what you're talking about What? Uh, so yeah. I think we're creatures of our time and it's funny to see him kind of get just stuck like flag in the sand 1940s and 50s and his ideals stay there basically yeah um Uh, it was it was a bit too far yeah
1: yeah we'll probably get into that in our third part when we talk about the knockoff effects and the fans and the new
0: one and like you said what people want right Uh, i'm trying to put my mind in like a 19 and a fan in 1979 that is what i'm like (laughs) speaking to right now is that they probably have this very like elitist like no books are incredible it's not even possible why would you even think about it they go stop stop (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh God, a musical number? What yeah, the heck? Oh. yeah. <laughs> you know, like the Star Wars specials happened in the same year, basically. Yeah, this you know, is like that. that. This is that. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. But uh, next week we will have the answer. The tumultuous: How did a nobody, Peter Jackson, at the time, get a property that seems impossible with a fan base that's conflicted and <sighs> an author who will never give up the rights? <laughs> we will figure out how it became the biggest fantastical
0: trilogy of all time. Oh man! Thank you, Taylor. Thank you yeah. so much. I, I seriously, this is all making so much more sense now. I I feel like I can step into a new episode of the show with a little bit of clear head. I can watch. Mm-hmm. I'm really uh, now. Now I've got some context, and I can't wait to follow this up next week. Thank you guys for sticking around. Uh, thank you for sticking around after our break. Uh, never, We've never taken more than a week off, really So uh, <laughs> uh, bear with us over the course of now What is this, uh, Taylor? We're, we're Oh, we're,
1: we're on we're episode beating, 180
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, we're beating down the door at 200 <laughs> So uh, let us know what you are reading Let us know what you are watching Let us know what you are excited about Coming out in theaters, on streaming You never know when we're going to do an episode About that thing you want to know all about Get in touch with us at illiteratepod at gmail.com And we will see you here back next week Uh, Until then, stay safe everyone.